It's great to be here with you this morning, uh, whether you're here in the, on campus, uh, down in the chapel, online, it is great to be able to continue in our series on Titus. Uh, before we do, I had the opportunity this morning to uh, visit one of our youngest born congregants, and so I think there's a picture up on the screen, or going to be, right there, right there. That is, yeah, that is... Uh, That's a little Theo Samuels, uh, my grandson. I got to, 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 on the way here, as a matter of fact, I snuck up there, actually. There was no one in the lobby, and so I said, Krista, are you at the door? And got up there. I figured the worst thing you could do is kick me out, and I had to come here anyway, so that worked out fine. Um, but yeah, my grandson, and uh, he was 8 pounds, 11 ounces. I was trained right, ladies, to let you know that 8 pounds, 11 ounces. And uh, born last night. Someone asked me if he was born this morning. I said, no, he's a pastor's grandson. He was born Saturday. Uh, you know <laughs> can't be born on Sunday. There's things to do. And, uh, and so, uh, so he's up there. I figure you're probably going to hear a ton about him down in the years to come. So you might as well see a picture of him to, to sort of introduce him to you guys. So, okay. All right, here we go. Titus. I, I tell you, I was holding him and, and as I was holding him, I was reminded of really what Paul is doing in Titus is quite remarkable. And, and that is he, he's setting a generational health on the island of Crete. That, that we find over and over again in the book of Titus, the importance of pouring into one another, pouring into upcoming generations, understanding that the, the health and the vibrancy of God's kingdom is all wrapped up into what God does through fellow believers pouring into fellow believers. And so as we look at this part of Titus, Titus 1, 5 through 9, he's going to talk about quality. In particular, he's going to look at the quality of leadership. He's going to talk about godly character. Simon Sinek, when he was talking about leadership, he wrote this. He said, leadership is not about being in charge. It's about taking care of those in your charge. I really like that. I think that's the heart of leadership. Leadership is not about being in charge. It's about taking care of those in your charge. In fact, dare I say that, that our society would be a better place if leaders understood that. That it's not about them, it's not about power, it's about using the influence that, that God has given you to better those around you. And, and that's what Paul is sending Titus to do on Crete. Uh, obviously, as goes the leader, so goes the team. Leadership is vital because leadership brings guidance and direction, it provides inspiration, it, it's essential for problem solving and decision making. And, and it's not just any old leadership that, that Paul is, is instructing Titus to, to establish on this island of Crete within the churches. He, he's talking about godly leadership and godly leaders, godly leaders are, are guided by principles and values found in scripture, empowered by the spirit and living for God's glory as his under shepherds, serving his people for his purposes. That's what we're going to be looking at is what's that, what's that really mean? And, and maybe you're sitting here and saying, well, I'm not a church leader. Well, here's the reality. Here's the reality. Look at me this morning. It may hurt, but look at me. <laughs> God's church is the sum total of every single believer, right? So when we talk about God's church, we're not really talking mostly about an organization. We're talking about the people of God. Well, guess what? If you have influence, you're a leader. If you have influence in any way, you are a leader. And I've had someone once say, well, if everyone's a leader, no one's a leader. And I said, no, if everyone's a leader, everyone's a leader. <laughs> and so we all lead in one way or another in the places where we, where we live and where we 
go to work and where we go to school and where we play. And so it, this may be easy to go, well, I'll just tune this off. I'm not a church leader. But if you are part of God's church, you are a church leader in one way or another. And so that's what we're going to be looking at a little bit this morning. Titus 1, 5 through 9. Let me read the passage and then we'll, we'll dig into it a little deeper. Titus 1, verse 5. This is why I, of course, Paul, left you, speaking of Titus in Crete, so that you might put what remained, in, what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now these are what we would call the elder qualifications. They're also found in 1 Timothy and, and 1 Peter, and, and they're, they're instructions on, on the type of people that we should look to as leaders. These qualifications are, aim at, at how a leader is to live in their daily lives. And, and what I've heard, and, and I agree with so much, is, is what is truly remarkable is how unremarkable these leader qualifications really are. Uh, and how they ought to be genuinely present in every believer's life. What, what's truly remarkable is how unremarkable they really are. When you, when you look at the list and really boil it down as we are in just a moment, you're going to sit back and go, well, every believer should live like that. And I think that's the point. That these leaders are not established to be super Christians, but simply to model what normal Christianity should look like. That that's really their call. When we look at Titus 1, 5 through 9, we get this picture of really everyday believers. In fact, he starts in verse 5, simply letting Titus know, this is your purpose. I, Paul, have left you, Titus, in Crete, that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I've directed you. So Titus has this twofold mission on Crete. He's to straighten out what was left unfinished and to appoint leaders. He was to make sure not only was the church organized properly, but the right people were leading so that the church there would be able to flourish. And it's of vital importance because these, when the gospel spread from Jerusalem, once it gets out past Samaria, when it heads east and west, north and south, as the gospel is spreading, guess what? It goes to cultures who don't have scripture. I mean, certainly there's Jewish communities spread all over the known world at the time, but outside those Jewish communities, no one knew scripture. They had their own culture. And more than not, their culture wasn't God-honoring. And so you can see Paul had gone to Crete. He had shared the gospel. People came to Christ. They were excited about Jesus, but they had no idea how to live for him. No idea what it meant. And, and so Paul says, Titus, and by the way, if you look in scripture, you see that this is sort of Paul's way of doing ministry. He like would plant churches and then he would send his young protégés out to make sure that, that leadership was established in all of those things. And so Titus, one of his protégés, he sends him, he says, look, make sure that the church knows what it's doing and has godly people as examples. In fact, as we dig into the book of Titus, we call this little book, the series, little book, big lessons, we'll see that there's this generational involvement 
in seeing that the church is, is raised up to be the church that God's called it to be. See, here it is. Healthy leadership in the church is like a strong foundation that supports the entire church family, enabling it to reach new heights of spiritual growth and community impact. But first, they have to, to know. They have to know what, what does it mean to be godly? Yeah, they've accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, but I'm sure as many of you, you came to Jesus because you knew, man, I, I need to have Jesus. I need him in my life. And all of a sudden you realize, well, wait a minute, what is the way? How then do I live? What does it mean to study God's word and allow it to, to master our lives, to, to direct us in the path that he has for us? So these are the things that, that Titus is called to do, to raise up individuals that, that will follow Titus as, as Titus had followed Paul, as Paul has followed Christ, and, and say, be examples. And so he starts with some positive qualifications. Look at verse six with me. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Those in leadership have to have their family life in order. When, when appointing leaders, consideration must be given to their families. Their children should be Christian of good reputation, disciplined in their matter of life, and obedient to their parents. Now, again, this was crucial because this is a culture that had no idea of what it meant to follow Christ. And he says, so the family unit of the individual who's leading has to be following Christ. It doesn't mean, by the way, that children won't sometimes stray away. Any parents out there? Anyone ever been a kid? It doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that if an individual is going to lead a church and their family's not in order, the priority should be in their family. See what's happening there? In other words, you don't avoid the family by going to the church box. You make sure you're focused on the family. You make sure you're caring for your children. If you have a children's wayward off, make sure you have time to pour into them, to be available to them. That's what's happening here. To appoint leaders who, who consider their family a priority. And then Paul writes this interesting statement that has often been misunderstood, the husband of one wife. That's an interesting statement, right? Like for us today, we go, well, no, duh. That's a good thing. And why pick out just the husbands? And there's been some misunderstanding of that as well. Let me say this first and foremost. The problem was not polygamy as we think of it. In fact, polygamy wasn't something that was very common in the Greco world. The Greek world didn't really look upon polygamy as something that, that should happen. You should only have one wife. So one thing Titus didn't have to do is say, hey guys, you're getting this one wrong. Um, you only should have one wife. Now in other parts of the world where the gospel went, even today that needs to be preached and taught. But that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is that in the Greco-Roman world, especially in the, Greco in the, in the uh, Greek, culture, Greek culture, they had concubines and courtesans. What they would do is they would purchase female slaves and they would keep them as mistresses outside the home. And Paul is a Christian, but he's also a Jew. And as a Jew, understanding the scriptures, because understand this, most of the New Testament isn't, hasn't been written yet. He knows that the marital union is tantamount to marriage. And so he's saying, listen, if you have a formal wife and an unformal wife, you're married to two women. And no leader in the church should be married to two women. 
This, by the way, we'll see throughout Titus, small book, but deals with this topic uh, in another place later on. We'll look at it because this was a problem throughout the Greco-Roman Empire. Families were falling apart. Noblemen actually were, were deciding they wouldn't get married because if they got officially married, then, then some of their stuff would belong to, to someone else. And so they decided just not to. And the emperor actually was very, at this time, very, very convinced that if this doesn't change, that it would be the fall of the Roman Empire. If the, if the noble families didn't continue to procreate, that they would have no hope. But Titus is dealing with a specific issue here. He's saying, listen, guys, this is, and why guys not, why not the women? Because the women had no choice. Don't get upset with me, first century church, okay? <laughs> Don't get upset with me. But they didn't really have any of the power. The guys had the power. They were the ones who were abusing their influence. And so he says, listen, you need to be the husband of one wife. Now, I want to say this because I think it's important. It's important to note that perfection in a family was not expected. If the leadership qualification was you, can, you have to have a perfect family, I know I wouldn't be up here. Uh, none of you would either. There's no such thing as a perfect family. But what is, what is Paul telling Titus to do? Make sure they're seeking godliness. And make sure they're not just seeking godliness and being like Christ in their own life, but in their family's life. That there's a priority placed upon their family. So Paul then makes some negative statements of what a leader should not be. Verse 7. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. So he says that those in leadership must avoid bad vices. Leaders are stewards of God, one who cares for God's household. Therefore, they, they need to make sure that they're living in a way that points people to Jesus. And for instance, he says, not greedy for gain. And, and what's that mean? That a leader, specifically a church leader, ha- is, is, is leading because of his calling. But they're not to do it for power. They're not to do it for money. They're to do it because God has simply called them. They're his servants, serving others. Here it is. Church leadership is more than a job. It is a calling. And dare I say, wherever you lead, you say, well, again, I'm not a church leader. If you are a Christian, you are. So wherever you have influence, it's important to remember you're called to that. You're called in your marriage relationship. You're called in your family. You're called in your workplace. You're called in your school. You're called in the places where you play. To lead in a way that, that points people to Jesus, it doesn't distract them from seeing Christ in you. Think about it. The essence of genuine leadership lies uh, not only in the pursuit of success, but in the unwavering commitment to moral principles. Isn't that what separates the church from the world? Is that not at least what should separate the church from the world? It, it, is that we do what we do and, and under the standards of God's word? To point people to the truth? The desire of a be set free in Christ and, and walk the way that he's equipped all of us in his spirit to walk. It's through biblical integrity that leaders inspire trust, guide with wisdom, and leave a lasting legacy of righteousness. I love that. I love that. When I was holding it with my new grandson this morning, you knew it was going to come up. <laughs> Overwhelmed with responsibility for a moment. Oh, Lord God, may he see Jesus in me. 
May he not be turned away from the kingdom, but may he be turned to the kingdom because of me. So then he, Paul shares some positive qualifications, Titus 1, 8 through 9. Be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Those in leadership must be cultivating biblical virtues and their teaching must be faithfully instructing in the truth of the gospel. And so there's some contrast happening here. For instance, there to be a lover of good, which is in contrast to the false teachers that we'll read about later in the book of Titus, that, that we're teaching for, for the love of self and for the love of power and, and, and these things. They're to be self-controlled, which is one of the characteristics we're told in Scripture that comes from the very spirit of God himself. Being self-controlled. Yeah, I love that term because when you really dig into it, it's not really just being self-controlled. It's being self-controlled because we're God-controlled. Think about it for a minute. If God's directing my life, then I can be self-controlled. But if I'm directing my life, then that self-control doesn't lead me where he wants me to lead. Like, if you really think about it, we're all sort of self-controlled or uncontrolled. But when God's a part of our life, that self-control leads in the right direction. Godly virtue is the radiant light within us, illuminating our path with compassion, humility, and love, guiding us toward a life that reflects the divine goodness of Christ, we, by his help, embody. Lord, manifest yourself in me. Help me walk the way you've called me to walk, and when I, when I fall short, help me be quick to admit it. Maybe be quick to come to you to find forgiveness and grace and mercy and the strength that continue on. Lastly, Paul stresses that church leaders need to have a clear understanding of biblical truth. We need to be aware that the charisma is no substitute for understanding biblical truth. In fact, the exemplary life of a leader is a, is a product of sound doctrine. It's a product of understanding the Bible and what God teaches us through his word. In short, we can't emphasize the practice or doctrine at the expense of the other. But it's not enough to know God's word, we've got to live it. We've got to do both. In fact, it's, it's incompatible to think that, that a person could actually live according to God's word without knowing it. But dare I say, if we truly know it, it's difficult not to live it. That as we find ourselves exploring God's word, my, my prayer I shared with you last week is a prayer I pray for myself almost every time I approach God's word is, Lord, as I seek to master your word, help your word master me. Transform me into the man of God you've called me to be. And, and I don't pray that as, as, as some burden. I pray that with anticipation because God's true to his word. Those who seek him will find him. He's not a cosmic trickster. If you want to know the way, ask. Walk, trust. Well, here's the question. So what? Paul wrote this to Titus in the first century. What's that have to do with us in 2023? Well, let me share with you just a couple of, of principles we should pull out of this and apply to our lives. First of all, leadership development begins by having an understanding of articulated biblical standards. Now, we looked at it with them, but I want to I say it's just as true today. It's just as true today. Although we have a nation that 
you know, has been based upon Judeo-Christian ethics, it doesn't mean that, that we live in a culture that's always pointing to Jesus. Have you, have you noticed that? Uh, in fact, you know, there, there's many things that would cause distractions in our walk with God. I mean, social media can be a great blessing, but let's be honest, it can be a great struggle. Having so much information at, at, at just uh, right on our phone. I mean, think about it. How amazing is that? Now, those of you who are young enough, you go, well, we've always had this. We haven't always had that. <laughs> we haven't, right? Come on. Anyone here? Come on. I know. You don't have to be real old to admit that, right? I mean, this is stuff you would see on Star Trek when you were a kid. You go, that's never going to happen. Like, we're, we have more stuff than the original Star Trek had on our phones. How cool is that? Because I'm one of those geeks. I'm in a conversation and, and someone says something. I go, what's that mean? I go, I don't know. I go, oh, ah, there it is. That's what it means. You were wrong. You know, it's just sort of that type of thing. <laughs> you know, I, I just love it. I love it. But you know what? There's some stuff on that thing that we should never look at. That's destructive. There's some things we can look on there and it points us to Jesus and some things certainly do not. Come on, church. How do we know which is which? God's word. God's word sets the standard. God's word lays out the principles. And it would would be foolish to think that we can live a blessed life and live contrary to what God lays out for us. Getting quiet. God lays out what he lays out, not to be mean, not to steal joy from us, but he said he came to give joy abundantly. His way. So we need to know his word. Paul instructs Titus also in, in, in us that the goal in finding leaders is in recognizing those who, who measure up the physical standards rather than shaping standards to fit the people. It would have been really easy for Paul to say, hey, those creeds don't know a whole lot about godly living. Just pick the best you can. Right? Like, go around, figure out what the standard is, and just pick those who are just a little above that little standard there. Like, maybe they're the husband of two wives, but at least it's not three. (laughs) Maybe they're a little greedy, but just a little. Doesn't do it, does he? Says, here's the biblical standards. And I really believe, as we read through Titus, he's actually saying to Titus this, And if you don't find them, pour into them. Like if you're going about Crete, no one lives up to these standards. Don't appoint them as a leader yet, but pour into them until they can be a leader. See, I find much optimism in scripture. Our future isn't dictated by what we've been. It's not even dictated by who we are. It's who we can become. And in Christ, all things are possible when we surrender ourselves to him. Like you might be sitting here right now and say, I am so far from those standards. Let me tell you what, you can be a step closer to those standards, even this morning. You say, I've been walking so far away. You can turn around and head in the right direction even now. And here's the good news. It's not just God telling us to do things. Through his spirit, he empowers us to do things. He's going to say, hey, go do it. Figure it out on your own. He says, I got your word, my word. I've given it to you, the Bible. The spirit of God is, is indwelling every single believer. Think about that. 
The God who spoke the world into existence, his very spirit is inside of you, Christian. I don't know about you, but that's enough to excite me this morning. Like we have God power, God wisdom at our disposal. No person or institution can rise higher than the quality of its leadership. That's true in our own life, personally, self-leadership. It's true in our families, workplace, school. You, you get what I'm saying. It, it's apparent that the church in Crete was suffering from a lack of quality. <laughs> but instead of Paul saying, just give up and move on to somewhere where it's easier, he said, do the hard work. Pour into them. Raise them up. Teach those who are, who are sort of there to, to do the same. So that generation to generation, the gospel can be known and lived. For you and me, let's consider the following. A church can't rise above its leadership. You and I can't rise above our self-leadership. Our families will never rise above the leadership that's available there. The quality of the leadership determines the quality of the life of an individual, a family, and the local church. What's truly remarkable, I, I said this earlier, is how unremarkable really these leadership qualifications are and how they ought to be genuinely present in the life of every believer. It really shows how messed up Crete really was. But these simple standards would be the standard of leadership. But what's quite remarkable is, is that we all can strive for them. Therefore, for believers, I, I, I just encourage you this morning, take some time to reflect on your own character. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. Don't look around the room and say, hey, I know them. I'm better than them. Or I'm stronger in this area than the other person. No, no, just be honest before God. Look at the standards of God's word that we just looked at and say, how am I doing? He said, well, that, that, may, that may depress me. It only depresses you if you don't want to grow. If you want to grow, then there's a, there's a lot of excitement because God's in the business of growing people. Amen, church? Seek out a mentor and guidance for, for experiencing, from experienced believers who can exemplify these qualities. That'd be the other thing I would encourage you to do. Seek out someone who can help you in this area. I, I mean, think about it. No one becomes a doctor without someone training them. At least I hope. <laughs> if you know any doctor like that, let me know because I don't want them working on me. Right? Not a lawyer who, who hasn't learned from people who know the law. Not, not, a, not a mechanic who wasn't taught how to fix a car. Not a person building a house who wasn't taught by someone how to do the certain things that are necessary to build a house. Why would we think as Christians we wouldn't need people pouring into our life? Like we want to live a godly life, why would we not seek out people who can help us live the life that we want to live in Jesus? If you want a good marriage, seek out a marriage mentor. If you're in a dating relationship and you want to know what's this dating thing all about, seek out someone who understands that. If you want to grow in Christ, seek out someone who understands what it means to grow in Jesus. We have connect groups to do that. Our connect groups here should be really busting at the seams with people who are saying, man, I just want to grow in Jesus and I need to find a mentor. No better place to find a mentor than in a connect group. How about a serving group? People who are serving Christ usually are people who are growing in Christ. So if you want to grow in Christ, why not serve alongside people who are growing in Christ and serving him? How about a one-on-one discipleship group? 
Here's the thing I fear is people say, well, I don't have time for that. Well, if you don't have time for that, you're in trouble. Just being honest. We have time for the things we make time for. Which goes back to what Paul is writing to Titus and he's saying, look, if a person, if a man or woman isn't willing to pour into their family, they shouldn't be pouring into the church family. We should take time to evaluate, Lord, who's pouring into my life? Because your life is a reflection of the voices you allow to speak into it. Your life is a reflection of the voices you allow to speak into it. Lastly, let me suggest this. Use Titus 1, 5 through 9 as a basis for prayer and spiritual growth, seeking God's guidance and the Spirit's empowerment to embody these qualities. Because after all, the quality of leadership determines the quality of the life of an individual, a family, a church. Let us heed the call to biblical leadership. For it's not a privilege reserved for a chosen few, but a divine, divine invitation for every soul to rise and shine within the grace and wisdom found within its sacred pages of Scripture. When I was in seminary, I sought out mentorship by a man by the name of Dr. Bill Jones. He was a founder of the program that I had gone to South Carolina to study in. And he graciously accepted me into sort of his, his mentoring fold. <laughs> he brought me and about another, almost a dozen of us uh, under his tutelage, if you will, for three years, pouring into us. He was a very humble man. And so I, I'm glad I sort of took advantage of that because when I asked if he would pour into me, he was so humble, he said yes. And as I got to know him, he would start talking about a man by the name of Robertson McQuilkin. And who was Robertson McQuilkin, I asked. And he said, well, he was the one who poured into me. So what a great day it was when I finally, through Dr. Jones, got to meet Robertson McQuilkin. As I'm sitting down with Robertson McQuilkin, he's talking about this other individual whose name I can't remember. And I said, well, who is he? He said, he's the one who poured into me. And I thought, this is amazing. But Bill Jones isn't who Bill Jones is because of Bill Jones. He's Bill Jones because of, in part, Robertson McQuilkin, who's not Robertson McQuilkin because of who Robertson McQuilkin is, it's because of somebody else. And I remember praying and saying, dear Lord, could you use me to be that in someone else's life? So generations down the road, no one needs to know my name. I don't have a clue who Robertson McQuilkin's mentor was. I just know he had one. But there'll be people generations from now, if the Lord tarries, who will know Jesus. He'll be walking with Jesus. I hear a lot of people say, where's the hope in our country? And you know what? It's where it's always been. It's in Jesus Christ. It's in his church, pouring into his church and seeing people come to know the Lord and grow in Christ. Let's not blame the problems on society on those who are simply living by their job description and that is to not be Christian unless they are. If we want to see the world change, it starts here. It starts here. Oh Lord God, I prayed this morning. I'll be pointing little Theo to you, not away from you. Oh Lord God, I pray this morning, help me live a life that points people to you, not away from you. Help me be the leader. Help me embrace the influence you've given me for your kingdom. Amen, church? And here's the good news. If you're not yet part of the kingdom, you're just a prayer away, a decision away of receiving Christ as Lord and Savior.
You were created to be in relationship with him. Created to walk with him, to have the very power of the God who spoke the world into existence reside in you through his spirit. So whether you're here in this room, down in chapel, online, God has a plan for you. And it starts with saying yes to him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for just allowing us to gather here this morning to put your glory on display, to sing words of worship and reminders to ourselves of who you are, of what you're doing, what you've done, what you're going to do, for praying with one another, for fellowshipping with one another, for studying your word, and realizing that all these things are, are birthed out of your love for us, that you loved us so much that you've offered us salvation in Jesus Christ who died for our sins and was resurrected for our salvation. And I pray that if there's anyone in the sound of my voice who's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, why not right now? In the quietness of their own heart, say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for making me new as part of your kingdom. Father God, for those of us who have made that decision, whether it be days, weeks, months, years ago, thank you for the reminder this morning of what you've called us to, this amazing journey of not just following you, but, but leading others to follow you, to use the influence we have for your glory, that your church, Lord God, would be a shining light to the world around us. God, as we have gathered, may we scatter in just a moment in your name. May we scatter knowing that we've been called as everyday missionaries to share your love and message in the places where we live, where we work, where we go to school and play for your glory. What an amazing life you've called us to in Christ Jesus. Thank you for meeting us where we're at and help us take the next step with you. And thank you for letting us do it, not alone, but with you and with one another. In Jesus' name.